Michelle Black, I am truly honored to have you on the show today. I'm truly honored. I'm, I'm privileged to be able to read your book, Sacrifice. It's really one of the first books I sat down in years and read from you know cover to cover. It's an amazing uh, recount of everything that happened to you, your husband, your family, and everybody involved with what happened in Africa. So Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jason. I'm so happy to be here. Um, we were talking before the show and sacrifice is a different book than I, I did not expect this book to be what it was. It was an actual, not just an account of your grievance, um, your grieving, your family's grieving and, and Brian's family, but also the actions that happened leading up to his death and bringing this to the page must've been difficult for you, but also liberating. Um, when did you first uh, first of all, what what's the book about? Let's tell the audience what, what the book is about. Um, I would say overall, I mean, if I were to just give it one word, I would say justice. Um, really, um, I, I discuss, I, I introduce my family. I introduce Brian. I really want everyone to um, connect with us. And then I kind of describe after that, what happened to our family when he was, um, his team, <clears throat> his uh, Green Beret team was ambushed in um, Niger, Africa in 2017, in which four men were killed. My husband, Staff Sergeant Brian Black, Staff Sergeant Dustin Wright, Sergeant David Johnson, and uh, Sergeant First Class Jeremiah Johnson. So I get into the aftermath of that with the media, um, the video that was released by ISIS, and then I take you through um, what happened with the investigation done by AFRICOM, in which AFRICOM um, essentially investigated themselves. And um, at the end of it, instead of really holding all the right people accountable, they shifted blame onto lower level men and excused those who had actually ordered the mission. So then I give a detailed account. Um, I investigated, I, I interviewed. Um, several men who were on the ground during the operation, as well as men back at the AOB, men who were on Team Arlet, and um, several upper-level officers, including the past um, SOC Africa commander. And with this, I was able to piece together what happened as far as a detailed account of what happened on the ground in the days leading up to and during the ambush which we were not really given by AFRICOM during our brief. Um, and I line out really the disparities between what happened in the brief and the lies we were told, um, the inaccuracies in their account. And then later I pick apart the redacted report and show the inconsistencies throughout the report and um, how the punishments were unfairly meted out and where those should have gone. You know, the book is really almost like a three-phased book. The first book is really what I would expect to be to reading about a gold star family and about loss and about everything uh, that goes with that. I mean, I, I can't imagine the loss it is, uh, the sudden loss and the grievance process. The second part of the book turns into like a really in-depth account of what happened. 
And it was really like, it almost read like, I can't believe this is really happening. It's like when you interviewed the team members, they really put it out there and really said, Hey, you know what? This is exactly what happened down to like the gunfights, the movements, the everything, the ambush and how complex that ambush actually was. And then the third part is when they, when they go over the report of investigation, you're enraged as a reader, you're enraged throughout this whole thing, especially the ambush. You're like, this is a failure at the senior levels that it almost, it does. It reminds me of like almost, you don't want to class it as a Benghazi, but that catastrophic failure of leadership is right up there with some of the worst failures of leadership the military has ever had. Correct. And for them to have it be a failure of leadership, but then to go the next step and punish the men on the team. And I think for me, that was the bigger issue. Honestly, if it was this huge failure of, you know, leadership, I mean, that's an issue. But the truth is, I didn't want anyone punished. I thought as long as we can be honest about what happened and we make sure this doesn't happen again, but then they begin to punish the men lowest on um, at the lowest levels and hold them accountable for the things that up senior level leaders were responsible for. And I think, you know, truly the final straw was, I thought, okay, General Waldhauser has this press briefing coming. He's the general over all of AFRICOM. And, and he's going to say, you know, this, this team um, did the best it could. But what we got instead was him stating that um, this team was not indicative of what special operators do. So when he said that, he destroyed not just the men who survived the ambush, but all of those who died as well. And for the families, that was a huge slap, the way they dishonored the men who had sacrificed their lives. So they took it beyond just not holding senior leaders accountable, they went on to completely disparage the team and dishonor those who had sacrificed their lives. And that was an unacceptable, um, just (laughs) the whole thing was unacceptable. It it was. And, you know, when you do the recollection and when you do the interviews and when you talk, it's a very thoroughly researched book. This isn't like, I'm amazed that this is your first book because it comes out as a very, and almost like an investigative reporter did this bringing in the, the accounts of those those um, NCOs and the junior officers on the ground and showing that, hey, you know what? These aren't just new to special forces people. These aren't just some rogue team. These are people with multiple, multiple combat deployments in Afghanistan and throughout the world that have seen action before. And now they're thrust into being ambushed by I don't even know how, what was it over a hundred or was it 80 to hundred? Yeah. I've, I've heard anywhere from 80 to 200. So nobody really knows, you know, the military is always cautious on when they estimate numbers um, and they drag their debt, you know, they, they remove their debt from the scene. Mm-hmm. So we were told 80 by AFRICOM, but since then I've heard numbers upwards of, you know, 150, 200. And the men on the team estimated it was over a hundred. So yeah, there were a lot. There were a lot and there was a, it was a small team and they didn't have any backup. Their Niger forces took off. Boom. They're gone. And now they're being ambushed in a complex action. And for everybody out there listening, the reason I'm bringing this up, because I want you, there was media accounts and then they had the news and everybody else was talking about this, but they didn't have the true facts on the ground and they never bring this stuff up. They show the two to three minute, three to five minute sound bites, 
and whoever it's left or right wants to glorify their point of view. But this is the point of view of the people that were actually on the ground. They were being ambushed with technicals with, uh, I think, 20 mic mic or higher um, machine guns. I mean, they were getting ambushed with everything. And this wasn't the first time that this organization, this um, the terrorist organization did this. They were doing this over and over and over again. They just never attacked Americans. And when when I read that part where they said, hey, you know what, they're not going to, the senior leaders were saying, well, they're not going to attack us. They must not have known we're Americans. It doesn't matter. You have to prepare that they're going to be attacked. I can't imagine your frustration. Yeah, I mean, the frustration was huge. And, you know, I think for me, when I'm being told, well, you know, the team went rogue. Um, there were a bunch of cowboys. They fell apart at the fir- when the first bullet flew. Oh, <laughs> to me, that was beyond laughable. Um, you know, especially the way Green Berets are are trained um, specifically for this. And the vast majority of the guys on the team also had Ranger tabs. Several had um, been in. Well, one for sure that I know of had been in Ranger Regiment for several years. Um, they weren't the type to fall apart when the bullets flew. So for me, it was very frustrating. And as I went through and learned more, you know, that there were Dishkas and ZPUs and that these guys are having anti-aircraft weapons fired at them. And that then they've got, you know, grenade launchers and um, just all this different weaponry and that this this group of uh, terrorists were very well-trained and very well-organized. yeah, it was very frustrating for me um, looking back on my brief when I had asked detailed questions and been blown off with answers such as, well, trust us, Ms. Black, you'll see why the paperwork that Captain Perizzini put out um, mattered so much. And it's true, the media was, you know, right wing would come in this way, left wing would come in this way. And in the end, which I, you know, I think really shows in my book is this isn't Uh, You know, this isn't a Democrat story or a left wing story. This isn't a right wing story or a Republican story. This is an American story. This should matter to everybody because, you know, these men on the ground, they're Republicans and they're Democrats. And, you know, it wasn't a Trump decision. It was a general and a lieutenant colonel and a colonel who made this decision. It had nothing to do with an administration. And so let's focus in on the people who did make this um, this a major mistake and then blame other people. And, you know, my issue again, is not with the military at all as a whole. Like I love the military. I would love my kids to serve. I think that's huge. I think it's important. I would love for them to be green berets, special operators. Um, and they talk about that all the time. My issue isn't with the military. It's with these individuals who chose to place their careers um, and their promotions over the lives of those men who were on the ground and, you know, those men who will not have a promotion ever again and their children will not have a father. That's an issue. So. Honesty. And I like how you said that before. Honesty. That is what it is. I love the military. I love the I love being a soldier. I love being an officer. Um, I wouldn't I, if my children wanted to go into that's great. Uh, but when it comes to the, when it comes to leadership failures and not being honest and not just holding yourself accountable, that's the issue. The slap in the face, too, was one at the end of the book, you go over the after action about the awards. I mean, when I read the accounts of what these 
heroes did, the quality, I shouldn't say the quality, but the, the type of, types of awards they got did not nearly go to what they should have received. Not at all. Right. And, and then I think for me, you know, we would sit around with my in-laws and, and other family members and it was like, well, you know, we'd come to the conclusion, well, how can you highly decorate a team that you've just laid all the blame on? You can't do that. So politically they chose the best option. You know, they looked at it really, the, the awards were handed out with um, a real political mindset is my thought, you know, my, that's my opinion after looking at it, but yeah, it's just, it's very frustrating. Definitely. I am, you know, I've been in the government a long time and I've, you know, my encounter with the military and the government is when it comes down to it, when you retire, when you go on your way, nobody's going to remember if you were Colonel such and such or general such and such two years after you're gone. And to think that people make decisions based on status that costs lives, it's really, it's troublesome to me. Um, it's not just the first time this has ever happened to, and I'm not, this is, but this podcast isn't about bashing all senior leaders. It's about bashing the ones who just don't hold themselves accountable. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what? Um, because a captain cut and paste is something that everybody in the world does, or, or someone did this or someone did that. Uh, don't pass the blame if the blame is yours. Correct. Yeah. And, and we see that happen very clearly. I mean, when you talk about the captain, it's, you know, um, you know, you even look at his, uh, his punishment, which was for um, not running rehearsals on a short suspense mission, ironically. So he didn't run rehearsals and was handed a go more for that. And yet they don't mention the fact that it was a short short suspense mission in which he didn't have time to run rehearsals and that those short suspense missions fell outside the approval matrix for AFRICOM and for SOC Africa. And so the colonel and everybody up the chain, the lieutenant colonel, everybody approved this short suspense mission. And they were in the habit of doing this, which was way outside their approval matrix. And while this was mentioned in the AFRICOM's redacted report, Nobody was held accountable for it. It was like, hey, let's fix all these senior level things, but let's punish all these lower level guys for it. And that was really remarkable as I went through. You know, the book does have, like I said, the, the first part of the book is about loss, but it does go into like your love story, your your story of Brian. And that's really one of the best things that came out of the book outside of, you know, knowing that we need to do more. Because that's when you everybody reads this book, you're going to know that it's not just the leaders that need to be accountable. It's us. We need to make sure that they are accountable. But I want to go back into Brian. He seems like a really, like, legit guy. Like, just really smart, man. And when you were saying, uh, I shouldn't say man. Sorry, ma'am. But uh, when you were saying that he's playing online poker and stuff, I'm like, the similarities between him and a lot of people I know, very smart very technical, like not technical, technical, but like just very, you know, really legit smart. I can't imagine a loss, but let's talk about him and let's talk about like some of the really, the cool things that you guys have experienced together. Well, you know, I mean, we met in a ski town um, and I was instructing uh, snowboarding and he was playing poker online and skiing during the day. He ended up dating one of my 
coworkers and I ran into him at church with her uh, and just funny. He just, he was very quiet. Um, and he, he was funny because he was so smart, but he knew he looked dumb. So he was this big wrestler guy, probably six two, two thirty when I met him and his neck was just as big around as my legs, you know? And um, he'd hardly say anything. And he had this deep monotone. So he would play really dumb. And it took me a long time to figure out this guy is really smart and he's messing with people because he treats them like he's stupid. And then they treat him really like, oh, he's special. And then they would treat him very like, you know, like he was very dumb. So it was really fun to watch once I got to know him. But um, then he moved in with one of the guys from church that I knew really well. And I said, so, Joe, what's with this guy? And he goes, well, I walk into his room. He's playing four, you know, four games of chess and four games of um, poker. And he's got them up like this side by side. And the chess is speed chess. So he's just going click, 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 click. And I'm like, no way. And he goes, yeah. So I walk in and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Brian, what are you doing? And Brian just looks up and says, I'm winning. And then just goes back to him back to what he's doing so everything was that way just very dry cut to the you know cut to the chase and that was it so um, it took a long time for us to get to know each other so I think we were we spent a year just doing a lot of skiing backpacking we were friends and it was the kind of thing where I was you know setting up these big backpacking trips and he was going along and the next thing I know He's pretty much the only one there, but he just, he was tough as nails. I remember one time, um, all we had were our, you know, Jansport backpacks and, and we um, bungee corded Eddie Bauer um, sleeping bags onto him. And one night we go up past these lakes and we've got our headlamps on because it's after work. And we get up to this one lake and it's night and we're tired and we lay our sleeping bags out. We don't know where we are really. And I wake up in the morning and there's ice um, on the zipper. So I jump out of it, roll my bag up, and I run up to this little patch of sun. And there's all the other people up there. So all the other guys. And I'm up there in the sun and I look down and there's Brian. And the sleeping bag only comes like up to his ribs. So he's sticking out of it and he's snoring. And there's holes in the bottom by his uh, feet. And one of his feet is sticking out and he's just like out snoring and so we're all watching him then he finally wakes up and he's down there and he just rolls up his sleeping bag sits down opens some food is eating and I'm like hey Brian like what are you doing and he's like I'm getting some breakfast and I was like how how is it down there and then he just smiles like real big smile and he goes it's cold (laughs) that was it he didn't move nothing you know so that was Brian he just you know as few words as possible, very direct, but um, just a lot of fun to be around. So yeah, um, eventually, you know, I think by the mm-hmm. end of that year, we were engaged and married and, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you two were married before the, the military. A lot of times it's like, you know, you go into military, you get married. Uh, but it's really interesting that you guys were, you know, married and then later on the military and, and children. So it's, it's, that must have been a, what was it like where he's like, Hey, I'm just going to join the military. I know I read the book, but it was like, that's a, that's a big leap from being like, you know, online gaming and everything else, not gaming, but uh, online poker to skiing, to having like a free life to all of a sudden to be in a regimented military life. 
Well, and I, what I think is the reason we did it is I could see as we moved and we were, we were busy with kids and life changed and internet restrictions were cut down. And so he's, he's trying to do all these things and I could just see the stress and it was kind of sapping. He wasn't happy, you know, and I could tell like he's trying everything he can to make ends meet and do what's right for his family, but he's pretty miserable. Um, He's working from home and men need more than that. You know, they need to be out. They need to be feeling like they are doing something radical. And he was a very intelligent man. He needed to be actively engaged. And I thought whatever makes him happy is what he needs to be doing because then he'll be the same person that I married. But if he's, you know, if he's not that, then that's, that's miserable for both of us. Um, You know, I know you always hear happy wife, happy life. That's BS. So I was like, go out, do what makes you happy. Because when you come home and you're happy, you know, you play with the kids, you're having a great time. You're not frustrated. Um, And I'm already doing the kid thing, you know, so we shouldn't both be here battling this battle. Like you go do your thing. So it was a big change, but not in a negative way. It just you know, I think our life, those first five years we were married, we moved um, every year. So we were, yeah, so we moved five times in five years. So by the time he joined the military, it's like, at least we'll stay in place for, you know, at least two years. This is great. We just don't have um, control over where we go. So, but I was okay with that. But it definitely was for me a big adjustment to, wow, there's orders and there's like, there's people who tell you what to do. I had always been very independent and I was raised by a man who ran his own businesses and my grandfather was a business owner on both sides. So uh, there were all these small business owners and I was one of those pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get it done and work hard. And, you know, if you want something done right, you do it yourself and, and, you know, you're a free agent. So it, it was a really big shift for me, but, um, but he was so much happier that I loved it. I was like, this, it's worth it. This is great. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to following you and your journey with not just the book, but what you're going to do in your future. Because seriously, this book is, I couldn't believe this was your first time writing a book. Um, and you're in depth, I, you know, in telling the story. And I felt like I, I kind of knew who you guys were after. It's like sometimes you just, you brush over the intricacies of what it's like to be in a relationship. And you just kind of go on to, you know, the, the main gist of the story, but I like how this is broken up. And I like that. I got to get to know you through the pages and I got to get to know Brian and his team. And I really, really appreciate you coming on to talk about it too. Well, I'm, you know, I obviously I love talking about anything with Brian um, <clears throat> and, and this book, you know, this, this has really been a work of, um, I don't know, passion and, and just, yeah, it's been very fulfilling to be able to tell this story um, for Brian's parents and um, for the team, you know, and for the other families. So it was actually a big, it felt like a big burden for a long time. Like, am I going to do everybody justice, you know? And even though everybody was backing me on it, I still have gotten so worried at times that it's just not enough. It's not enough. I'm not doing enough for this family. I'm not doing enough for these guys. Um, and so um, it's been good in the aftermath to hear from the guys on the team. And they're like, you know, yes, 
So, uh, but yes, very happy to be here and talk about it. And so happy I wrote, I got to write it. So thank you so much, Michelle, everybody out there, pick up the sacrifice. It's out now wherever books are sold, do it.